Hey Firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the 100th episode of Firecracker Department. What? I can't believe it. No, it's true. Who are you talking to? You're the only one in the studio. This isn't a studio. You think this is a... Anyway, I could go on all day. 100th. Oh my gosh. Just think we've done 100 discussions with 100 firecrackers. We've heard their stories. We've heard their voices. And oh my gosh, I knew that when we started with Jane Eastwood, if you haven't checked out that, go back to the very first episode, Jane Eastwood. Gosh, I love her from Second City and from Haven and from oh so many different things. Uh, I I knew when we started this that we were in for the long haul. Like we were, do you know what I mean? Like we were in, we weren't gonna just do a couple episodes and then move on to some other project. This was something I knew when we started was important. And now, 100 later, I, I am in awe. And it's also really interesting because I, I've never done these kinds of things before. I've never, I mean, I've done interviews before in maybe a hosting situation, but podcast, no. So you can go back to our first couple of uh, episodes, Jane Eastwood, Annie Murphy, uh, Deb McGrath, and here a very green Naomi Sneakus figuring out how this was going to go. But here's the other thing. I didn't want to just bank a bunch of podcasts. I know a lot of people that like, I want to start a podcast and then they work on them and they tweak them. And I was like, we just got to get this going. Let's learn as we go. And we have, and oh my gosh, I am so, so proud of what we've all accomplished, the Firecracker Department team. And oh man, Sydney Nielsen and Winnie Wong joining the production team of the podcast has stepped this up to 11. It's extraordinary just to see... Um, the devotion that those two have put into producing this podcast and where it's taken us. It's amazing. And now before you check the app and you're like, wait a second, Sneakers, there's more than 100 episodes. These are 100 official episodes. I mean, we love, love, love our bonus episodes and after shows, but these hour-ish interviews are what the heart and soul of the Firecracker Department was built on. And uh, we're at 100. <laughs> I'm so proud. I am so proud. Uh, we've been sharing these voices with you since 2017. Is that incredible? So hitting the 100 mark is a milestone to celebrate. Speaking of celebration, so it was my birthday last week and uh, I, it's been a bit of a year for everybody and with losing both my folks last year, I, I wasn't really in the headspace to celebrate. And so my husband was like, what do you want to do? And he did this lovely little thing. He bought me a little lamp. This cool little retro lamp. Maybe I'll post a picture because it's super cool. And he just wanted to shine a light on me because that's the kind of awesome guy he is. And uh, I was like, that's all I need. I, I don't need big fanfare. I knew I kept my day simple so that I could just, you know, do what I needed to do for the day. I knew it was going to be emotional. Uh, I was cleaning up my father's home, which if anybody's done it before, you think you're doing great. And then you find that thing that sets you off and it's a lot. And my thing was his closet. And uh, here's the other thing I learned. I can't rush stuff like that. So um, I knew Matt wanted to go and take things to the Goodwill and charity shops. So I was hurrying the process of going into his closet and I, uh, I kind of lost it. So I, I took a break. I knew I also had an interview that's coming up with Jennifer Hostin, who is the first black Miss World. You're going to love this chat. And then I had a chat with uh, Emily Churchill and AJ Edmonds, who produce the after show for us over on our YouTube channel. And then 
get a load of this. Because the Firecracker team are full of just incredible, not just incredible minds, creative souls, but the biggest hearts you will ever find. And they surprised me with like a quick Zoom call where everybody wished me happy birthday. And uh, boy, that was, that was all I needed. <laughs> and then Sydney Nielsen, because they are all about one extra little bit of something beautiful, Sydney did a beautiful montage video for me from all the firecrackers. Uh, boy, that, that made my heart full. So that was my last week, a bit of a roller coaster, the ups and downs of my father's place and then the, uh, the beauty of the firecracker department team coming together. And it's one thing, you know, coming together as a team for my birthday, which is, gosh, that's enough. That's enough of a gift, seeing those cute faces on Zoom and celebrating together. And then it's the recognition of how special it is when people come together. And that will always hold such a, an important place in my heart. I remember doing shows. We had a company called the National Theatre of the World. It was an improv company. And we used to do shows twice a week in Toronto. And no matter what the weather, we I remember walking through blizzards with my heels and my boa because we were doing a show called the Carnegie Hall Show in Kensington Market. And we did it for years, and I don't know when the tipping point was, but at one point I looked out to the audience and I realized we were selling out and that people had come together to have a laugh. And I thought, that's all, that's all there is. That's all there is, is people coming together that means so much to me, whether it's for my birthday or whether it's for brunches with the firecracker department that happens every Sunday or for our writing burst sessions on Thursdays. It's just extraordinary to see people coming together. Firecracker department is making that happen. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty, pretty proud of this incredible community and incredible team. Uh, what's your favorite get together? Either you've thrown a party or you've produced a show or an event and you realize that you brought people together. I would love to hear those, those thoughts. Hashtag firecracker get together. Let me know what they are. Okay, let's move on to our firecracker department shout out and here we go. Veronica Martin. Veronica Martin, Amelia Copeland, and Alyssa Abler are putting together this beautiful thing that we did last year, and we're doing it again this year. It's the Firecracker Artist's Way. Now, I don't know if you've done the Artist's Way journal, but last year we led it with a guest workshop leader, Deanna Moffat. This year, Veronica Martin, who's one of our core members, is going to lead it, and it starts Sunday, March 7th, and I'm so excited. It was the first time I've ever done the Artist's Way, and there's the 12-week program, and uh, that book has stayed on my shelf for so long, and I finally did it. And it was so, so great. I mean, it, it proved to be a perfect way to kick off the year last year. And so now that we've settled into 2021, we're like, let's get started again. Spots are limited, so this can be a real intimate experience for folks. Register as soon as you can. And if you haven't heard of The Artist's Way, it's this program that was created by artist and writer Julia Cameron to help you discover and recover your creative self. Each week will be devoted to a chapter in the course with reading and exercises that push you to recover your creativity. And it's really one of the best ways you can invigorate yourself. Whether you consider yourself an artist or not, I feel like everybody's an artist. So get in on it if you even have like the smallest inkling that you'd like to stretch your artistic muscles. As I said, this year, our Artist's Way returning facilitator is our head of the mentorship department, coach and career consultant, Veronica Martin. Oh, I love Veronica. 
if you even know Veronica just through social media, you'll just feel what a heart she is. Uh, you can find out all the details on our social media and, of course, in the upcoming newsletter. But basically, I mean, it's 99 bucks Canadian. You get access to the private Facebook group for participants with daily prompts, creativity check-ins, and a safe space to share freely and confidentially during our weekly Sunday check-ins. To sign up, email events at gmail.com with the subject line, Firecracker Artists Way. Last year was such a success. And I'm so excited to meet a whole new team of artists that will share this journey all together again. It's extraordinary. I hope you can join us. Okay, now here we go. Our guest on the show this week for our 100th firecracker is writer, director, producer, professional harpist. What? Yes, we talk about it. And founder of BIPOC TV and film, Natalie Young Lai. Yeah, Natalie's gone from being a professional harpist to reality TV director to screenwriter in children's TV and primetime dramas. And then Natalie, with all the free time she had on her hands, founded BIPOC TV and Film, which is a grassroots organization advocating for meaningful representation of black, indigenous, and people of color in front and behind the camera. They recently launched the amazing HireBIPOC.ca, an online industry-wide roster of Canadian BIPOC creatives and crew working in screen based industries. I mean, to say that Firecrack Department are fans is an understatement. I've known about them for a long time and I am so, so glad to be working with them on any level. Shout out to my buddy Jillian Mueller, who is also in BIPOC film and TV and who will definitely be coming in as a guest at some point on Firecracker Department. Right now, Natalie's a writer, co-producer on CBC's Coroner, which you can catch new episodes on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on CBC or the CBC Gem app. In 2020, she was the recipient of the Canadian Screen Awards Special Humanitarian Award and she was also named one of Now Magazine's 2020 Trailblazers. Unstoppable. Unstoppable this person is. She was even nominated for a daytime Emmy for her writing on Dino Dana. Now, here's the thing. Natalie and I have only met in quick passing, either at events and things like that. And that's why I love Firecracker Department so much, because it gives me an excuse to dive deep and get to know her. And uh, boy, I, I knew I would have a great chat with her. Here's a little inside scoop. Our head producer, Winnie Wong, interviewed Natalie on our 2020 TIFF Party's virtual red carpet, which you can also watch anytime on our Facebook page. Just go to facebook.com slash firecrackerdept. And now it's my turn to talk to Natalie. It was the best. I really can't speak enough about how wonderful she is to speak to and uh, how grateful I am that she spent some time with us because I know she's super, super busy. Speaking with Natalie, a highlight for me. She's brilliant and she's caring and I can't wait for you to get to know her through this episode. Here's my chat with Natalie Younglai. The how are you doing is such a weird question because I truly mean it. Like, how are you doing in this pandemic? How are you doing creatively? You've been spinning plates regardless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like almost afraid to talk about it because it's kind of overwhelming to list it all. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, last year, 2020 was really hard. You know, there's a lot of change for everyone. Um, you know, I... And I just remember going for walks and like crying, just yeah. weeping about the life that like has changed so much for all of us. And like, you know, and now I've, now that we're almost a year up, um, I don't know, I guess 
it's become a little bit normalized, mm -hmm. you know, like this is the new normal. This is what we have to deal with. What can we, what can we do right. just to make sure that we're find a little slice of happiness or joy yeah. wherever we can. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the past few weeks I've been doing these zoom plank calls with my parents and my sister in the morning. Wait a second. What's a Zoom plank call? And is that when you all like put your elbows on the floor and see who can yes. last the No, it's not. Yes, it that is. That is adorable. You've got to send me a picture of that. I thought it was this new platform. What's this platform? Oh. I'm not hip to this platform called plank. Okay, so you, you get your family together and you plank together. We, we plank and there's a little competition going. My mom is like super competitive. I she can outlast all of us. Oh my God. I'm, I'm such a, um, I, you know, I work really hard, but when it comes to exercise, I sure do let myself off the hook. Like when I'm planking and I'm like, I'm going to do 60 seconds and I get 20 seconds and I'm like, that's enough. You've done good. Yeah. Good for you. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, this is, I want to talk about your, your parents and your family. Cause I know they're a huge part of your, your life and your career. And, and I know people know you as a writer and director and the founder of BIPOC TV and film, and we're going to get into that, but I need to talk a little bit about your work as a professional harpist <laughs> because I just don't know another harpist. And I have to say that I think that everybody grows up going one day I'll play the harp because it looks so gorgeous. And then they realize what it actually takes to become a professional harpist. And then they go, ah, maybe not. Maybe I'll, yeah. I'll just work on coloring. Well, tell me a little <laughs> bit about your background with harp, the harpist world. Oh, um, well, I was, you know, started doing violin and piano at a very young age, you know, Suzuki and stuff. And then um, the my violin teacher moved away and then I got a new one who I really didn't like, so I wanted to quit. And my mom said, you know, if I, I could quit as long as I chose another instrument. And for some reason, harp was on my mind. I don't even know how it got there. I don't know what I saw, where it came from. Uh, wow. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Did yeah, you feel like so... you were kind of sticking it to your mom? You're like, okay, what about the harp? <laughs> Here's a challenge. Yeah, yeah. I bet you can't <laughs> let me do that. Yeah. So then, yeah, they, they found a harp teacher. Uh, so I started when I was about 12, I think, 12 or wow. 13. Yeah. Now, and it just kind of went from there. Yeah. And was it, were you immediately connected to the harp when you started playing? Were you like, oh, I'm, I'm, my soul is speaking through this music. I think I was super frustrated. <laughs> it looks really challenging. It does it's, not like it's, it's hard. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. It hurts you, hurts your fingers. It's painful. It's heavy. I don't know. I don't know mm -hmm. why I even stuck with it. <laughs> well, what do you think? I mean, looking at your life now as a writer, director, producer, what do you think working through the pain of being a harpist and that kind of challenge, <laughs> what do you think that taught you? Um, I mean, I think that I just always end up taking the long and winding road like if and without even realizing it mm. right like I always end up on the harder road um and it's it's almost like I have to I don't know maybe I have to prove it to myself I'm mm. not sure um but harp was definitely like it, it helped me definitely you know get through a lot of stuff and um you know everyone always says oh, uh, that can be your backup but you know do you know, 
go to school and become a teacher or something right. <laughs> like yes. really yes. practical. And, um, and I didn't, and it did become my backup. Um, I, I was a single mom and then I was using like harp was the, the way that I could earn a living yeah. while I was a single parent. And I was, you know, commuting, doing gigs all over Southern Ontario, like schlepping the harp. All yeah. Over. yeah. That's not a flute <laughs> gig, everybody. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, after, after quite some time, I, I was just like, I can't, I can't see myself doing this, just physically doing it for the next 20 or 30 years until, mm. you know, I retire. Or die. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, so, yeah. and I also felt like, you know, like, it, I, although I loved it, and, and I still do like playing, um, just creatively, I felt like there was more mm. that I wanted to do and that there was more like I wanted to write. I wanted mm. like I had all these stories in my head yeah. and things I wanted to say. And you can only say so much, you know, playing through a heart. So, yeah. yeah, it makes complete sense. But it's such a beautiful place to start because I think um, I think I mean, you tell me what you think about this, but like writing, directing, there is such music in that kind of process. Do you find that with with when you're on set? For sure. And I think I think in a, in a few different ways, like in in the actual writing and in the script, like you are looking for that, you know, the rhythm, the musicality of it, mm -hmm. the pauses, the space. Um, and I think same with like performing. I'm not an actor, but I imagine that's what an actor would do. Um, and, and then in the writing room, it, it is very much like, you know, a cool band that's coming together and you have yeah. to listen to each other and you have to support each other. And sometimes you're playing over each other and sometimes you don't really like the person, you know, like all those dynamics. <laughs> but you still have to make to music together. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. <laughs> I love that analogy because I, I come from the world of improv and we often say how improv is like jazz and it makes complete sense because, you know, like if one scene you're, I'm going back to writing, but if one scene is like really action packed, you're not going to have another scene that's action packed after that. You got to give the audience a break. And what you said, like the, the flow of that, was that yeah. always part of your, like when you realized the harp was sort of getting pushed aside, were you like right into writing right away? Uh, I mean, I wanted to, but I didn't. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to, but I didn't get into it right away. So like my, I went back to school. I did like a nine month program at Humber. Um, and then the first job was in unscripted. And because I had a child, I didn't feel like I could wait to get like mm. the the most ideal, not that it wasn't ideal, but just, you know, like to go into scripted, I just didn't know when that would happen. And yeah. so I took that job um, working as continuity and story producing, and then worked my way up to directing. And was that um, on until uh, Death Do Us Part? Yes. Yeah. I love the show. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. It was so much. It was a lot of fun. It was a yeah. lot of fun. We had like an amazing crew, like really, really close family. And I learned a lot about just being on set, being in the industry from from working there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd love. I mean, I'm looking at your the span of your career and there is such a beautiful trajectory of lessons. It feels like from till death do us apart to where you are now with the coroner. I feel like you must have glommed onto a lesson for each chapter and yeah. you, seem, you know, like, what are you taking away from that? So what do you think you took away? Like, was there a specific, um, a specific lesson that you learned from Till Debt to Us Part? 
Um, I think I was like really lucky because our crew was so diverse. I think we were like the most, we had like people from all the different islands. Uh, mm. <laughs> and we like go out for lunch in between be like, oh, we're like, yeah, mm-hmm. we're it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you're the I gang. Also, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think, I think most of all, it was just like, how to be in this flurry of activity and chaos that mm-hmm. that can happen on set. And especially, you know, when it's not scripted and like, you're just trying to mm-hmm. be aware and be conscious all the time and ready to like jump on something or, you know, you're kind of reading people before, before they, the camera turns on so that you can then prompt or prod things, yeah. you know? And um, I, I think, I think for me, like, I just always remember standing there with like, and just trying to have like this kind of thing. I'm like doing this motion with my hands with that yes. no one can see. <laughs> she's motioning like uh, she's a flight attendant saying where the exits are right now. <laughs> or like a cone, a cone of calm, right? Yeah. So like, if you could just stay in that like calmness mm. while everyone was like, stressed or worried or, or whatever then you kind of like make your way through it yeah um, and and I still I, I still think about that a lot you know in different situations that that I'm in that's you know what you say that and it, I realize how important that is on sets like I've worked with directors that bring the chaos and then directors that bring the calm and how um how more effective it is to have a set that's got that kind of cone of calmness as you're presenting (laughs) yeah where did you like it seems like that must have been something in your upbringing that you were brought towards what kind of like what kind of kid was Natalie growing up Uh, I mean I I think it was like beat into me by like being a young performer (laughs) yeah right (laughs) And, and like you know with with music you're 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 forced to like do that end of year recital and you can't show everyone how scared you are or whatever and then I was also in dance and again you can't show and I always feel like oh my god I'm like I'm so scared and I'm like I'm actually I'm shaking yes and I ask people can you can you see that like my knees were shaking could you see that my hands they're like no you were like so calm like what I was not calm (laughs) it's so funny I mean if we can all just perceive ourselves the way other people do as opposed to like you know looking in the mirror oh my hair my face and my thing and and everybody else is like oh no you look great I was like wow you you're a liar is what I think immediately but I have that same experience where I was on stage at Second City and I was so nervous it was the very first time I'd ever been on that stage and I thought they're gonna stop the show and call the paramedics because they could see my heart beating out of my shirt. I felt it was so loud that they couldn't concentrate on the on the show. So that made that taught you how to get your calmness for your future. I I think so. I, or at least how to hide it. How yeah. to hide the like the fear yeah. <laughs> and the anxiety. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so reality TV, you did a bunch of that for a while, and and you knew that that wasn't your home though. Yeah. Yeah. And so were you I looking it, for an exit? I, I was, and I think, um, you know, it started becoming like less educational. Like, you know, it, 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 when it started, yeah. it was like, how to, how to fix your house, how to do a home makeover, which I love. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no. You're speaking my language, Natalie. I'm all over <laughs> everything you're saying. I could watch those shows forever. 
yeah yeah right because um, they're making a wedding. comeback they're making a comeback to say <laughs> no no you, you don't don't tease me four weddings <laughs> and then four houses what other four things can we do four husbands yes. let's do it <laughs> um and then it kind of started taking like this nasty turn where like the nasty was the was the show like you know all those reality shows where it's all about like who's dishing on who and who's fighting like and I was like I don't I don't think I can mm-hmm. I don't think I can do that um but that's interesting because you know you you still have this this uh small person in your life that needs that needs you and needs you to make money so talk to me about like that time where you're like it's more important for me to hold on to my integrity than to hold on to my paycheck um I think I was just I was I guess there was a few different fears happening <laughs> the fear of no paycheck but also the fear of who you would co- become if you like mm-hmm. keep doing that kind of you can say it say it you can say it oh no <laughs> <laughs> or are you telling me to be quiet <laughs> yeah yeah um, who you would become that makes complete yeah. sense yeah and and luckily i mean when you're when you're directing in in unscripted you get paid in like these chunks of money so i had just i kept kind of siphoning off money and putting it aside um and kind of like buying myself time to you know try to try to write and try Mm -hmm. to get into that um and and so then i i just was like i have to i have to make the change and it was it was scary. Like I still took a couple gigs, even while, when I was like, okay, now I really have to do it. And then uh, after a while, I was, I just thought like, I actually have to make a clean break from unscripted mm-hmm. because if I continue, people will still think of yeah. me in that way. And it, it was hard. It took a few years um, to kind of fully move over to scripted. Mm-hmm. Um, but Somehow I did. <laughs> well, I mean, is that when you started with the, the Magic School Bus and a little bit of kid-centric writing? Yeah, yeah. My first show was uh, Rusty Rivets, which was right. an animation show. Yeah. Right. So I want to hear about that moment where you, like, like, how did you find the courage for that leap? Because that's, you're leaving not only security of a paycheck, but you're also leaving security of... I Like, uh, what's the expression? Like, the devil you know, right? Like, it's something that you actually know, but it's hard... To leave that sometimes. Tell me about that moment when you started working with uh, the Rusty Rivets. Um, I, I think, well, I mean, I was, I was in a really good situation by that point. Um, I don't know if I was married yet or just living in sin <laughs> again. <laughs> right. So I, like, I, you know, there was additional, you know, support there right. that I wouldn't have had before. I don't know if I could have. I don't know if I could have done it if I was still like fully a single mom. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I, I think I, it was just like, I guess I just had to do it mm-hmm. and just try like, oh my God, I, I did all these things that I, I hate doing, like going to stupid networking events right. and like, oh, talking to strangers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Now tell me, because because we do that, right? That is part of this business. And how do you rationalize that? Because 
I'm not a fan of like when when I see people net networking for the sake of networking, it makes me um makes my skin crawl a bit. How do you rationalize like the networking aspect of our business? Um, now I have a different perspective. Now I'm like, oh, it's about building like meeting people and connecting with them and building relationships. And I think it's because I'm more comfortable with with mm. it, and I know more people and stuff. But when you're starting out, and especially if you're an introvert like I am, it was like fucking torture. Right. And I would like, I'd go to these parties and I'd, I'd call my friend and be like, okay, hey, I'm going to this party. I'm like forcing myself to go. Sometimes I wouldn't even like I'd go. Like it was like tricking myself to go. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Right. Okay. Put on the shoes. <laughs> I get Walk it. The door. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Tell somebody you're going to meet them there and now yeah. you're obligated. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know what? I'm like an ambivert. I go back and forth, but I, but I still find those really like taxing. Cause, yeah. cause I think what happens is there's somewhere along the lines, you know, you're, you're a storyteller. So you're fixed, fixated on like the imagination and your creativity. And then suddenly you're like a presenter and you have to have the cameras on you. And it's such a weird mind snap. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember like coming home and just like, I, I was done. Yeah. <laughs> I like needed the next day just to like yeah. recharge. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any secrets about networking for um, introverts, which is a book I would like you to read, right? <laughs> networking for introverts. I, I would give myself these little like, little kind of challenges I would have to do, like oh. talk to four, four new people. Great. And then if you talk to four people, then you can leave. And then I would. <laughs> That's a great thing to do though. <laughs> but like kind of giving myself permission to be like, okay, it's like half an hour only. All you have to say is like, hi, how, how do you like this food or whatever? Like yep. you have to be about yourself <laughs> Yeah. and then you leave. And then um, I, I guess the more that you keep going to these things, you actually do start getting to know people. <laughs> yeah and, and that was so like a, yeah exactly yeah. that be kind of became my gauge like if I go to this WGC party in the first year I know nobody but the second year I know like two people and now I go and I know a lot of people and, and now I'm like oh I'm not scared because I know these people and it'll just be fun to like just reconnect with friends so yeah that's when I think it starts to shift right um, yeah I think that's but it's such hard a good, it's hard it, but you know what, if anybody came up to me at a party and said, I'm really bad at networking, I just want to talk about food. I'd be like, you got it. I get it. Like we're all in the same boat. You know what I mean? Like, let's just be yeah. honest about this awkwardness that everybody feels. Um, yes. I completely, I completely understand that. So what was the lesson? Like if I'm looking at your career again, looking at the, uh, the, ch the children's chapter of your career, what was the lesson that you took away from that time that you're pulling into your work now as a writer, director, producer? I mean, writing for kids is super hard. I think it's even harder than writing, you know, long form for yeah. why do you think grown that up is? people? <laughs> grown up kids. Um, <laughs> grown up kids, yeah. Well, you have a much shorter, shorter time to play mm. with. So you have to be super efficient and like really focused. Your story has to be really focused. And a lot of times you also have like all these kind of restrictions or kind of things you have to meet especially if it's an educational right. show so it's like you know when you're writing for older people you kind of follow the story and you yeah. know maybe it's a misreading to hit certain things like that but 
in a kids show, you know, you're trying to get the educational learn that's in there. Like if it's a science show, you have to get the, the science facts right. in. If it's a, you know, you have to also make sure that they're learning something emotionally, like learning to share or whatever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, writing shorter is harder than just writing long. <laughs> I get it. I mean, something like Dino Dana, which is such a great show and you were nominated for an Emmy, which is amazing. <laughs> Can you, do you remember a story when you were working on Dino Dana that you were like, oh, I think I've got, a, got the rhythm of it or you felt successful in that, uh, that journey? Um, no, I think I was always scared. Really? Those kids, yeah. they could be so scary. Did a lot of them come to you going, I'm not saying this crap and like throw the script down. I mean, I think I was really happy when it was over. I think Dino Dana is especially challenging because they do, you know, there's so many different aspects of creative creativity with that show. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what about a challenge? Like, was there a challenge along the way that you felt like you um, you overcame? Uh, maybe not in Dino Dana, but maybe with like the Magic School Bus or any of the kids content that you used to work on? I think it was really challenging for me just to learn how to be comfortable in the writing room and in mm -hmm. that space. Um, also because like with my upbringing, you know, we're, we're always taught just to wait to be spoken to and, you know, don't interrupt and all, mm. you know, all that stuff. And so I would just wait and mm. I'd be like, oh, you're really quiet. I'm like, I'm mm. just waiting for people to stop talking. So I can finally jump in. And so like, ha like just forcing myself to sometimes step over somebody, which feels so wrong to do, yeah. but like step on their words so that you could start to get a word in yeah. very hard very hard <laughs> yeah well especially also, if somebody's not used to that muscle like you got to yeah. get your elbows up and and then also like having the confidence to like pitch or say your idea with confidence yeah and and I find that the more you can do that the more you actually convince people that it's good too but mm -hmm. the first few times I, I was like kind of like tiptoeing and weak and like oh, I don't know maybe I don't know it was just really bad <laughs> but then I would like I would kind of study all the guys really who would like do it and they, mm -hmm. they'd sell their idea I'm like oh shit that's how you like you have to like be into it like really enthusiastic yeah even if you're like this idea is okay you have to be like I love yeah. this idea 100 percent yeah yeah, yeah. That's so interesting to learn that about you. And I think that's so great because you're, I mean, you're such a leader in our industry now. Like you're, you, you got the now's um, trailblazer award for 2020. You're a leader in our community. And for somebody to say like, they've come from a place where they're waiting for their time to speak to a place of like, I'm going to get my elbows up and I'm jumping in there. What a great transformation. Do you, do you, do you recognize that transformation? And was that a, was that a challenge for you? Uh, yeah, I, I think it was and still is a challenge. <laughs> I mean, I because I, I don't think I set out to be a leader in the industry. Like starting BIPOC TV and film was just a matter of survival, really. Mm. Um, and I was just trying to build community. And because it's grown and the organization has grown and all the people with it, I guess people see me in that way but I I don't oh we're going back to that <laughs> we're going back to that theme what I don't, I don't see myself in that way <laughs> right right yeah that's an interesting that's an interesting theme then so like you know as you're presented with these words 
like so celebrating your leadership are you like gotcha or do you suddenly realize that you are a leader in our community uh neither of the above okay okay <laughs> I'm like oh I open up the email I'm like what like with the CSA award I I yeah. thought it was spam I and then I was like is this like a joke is it real mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't believe them um, that's the CSA the, humanitarian award that you got yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the now magazine award I'm like what that's so like weird why would they choose me and then like I'm just like trying to step away from it or like yeah. you know try not to have all that attention um yeah so it's it's been it's been weird yeah what tell me more about why you don't want that attention it feels like you know you've started you founded this BIPOC tv and film community to be a leader and to make a change so when people sort of look at you as a leader and you're like oh no 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 it's nothing <laughs> like tell me about that dichotomy in your brain uh, I don't know I, I I think it's also to do with like you know Asian upbringing like be modest don't brag like you know it's even hard for me to talk about the work that I do mm-hmm. even just a family like they're like oh what are you working on I'm like oh stuff <laughs> yeah oh just a. Uh, just a record-breaking show that I'm working on. No big deal. <laughs> Getting attention internationally. No big deal. Yeah. Do you find it hard to be a leader? Um, I think it, it depends. I guess it depends what kind of space it is. Like if it's okay. if it's you know, kind of stepping up and saying I'm to lead, like you know I I don't really do that. But I I guess I do. I'm okay with like giving direction or being like, okay, this is what we need to do next. Mm-hmm. That kind of a thing. But I, I don't, I just, I guess maybe it's the title. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You want to invent a different, a different title for your leadership maybe. abilities. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Because I know, I mean, let, I want to hear a little bit about Super Z too, because I feel like that might've been a turning point for your I don't know, like your, your life, lifespan of your career so far. Um, was, that, was that an impetus? Because you had an all, um, you're on all people of color ca- uh, crew and cast. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was sort of amazing. I mean, I've, I've been hearing about it forever from Farah and then from Jillian. So I'm so glad to be talking to you about it now. Can you tell me a little bit about how that started and what you, you know, what were you most proud about? Yeah, I'm, I remember... I was at, I was with Farah at um, Bannock. No, it wasn't Bannock. Oh, what was that place on Bloor and Christie? Uh, it was um, mm-hmm. the Indigenous Cafe. It's now closed. Oh. Um, anyway, we were having we were having lunch there, and I was just talking about how frustrated I was with like trying to continuously trying to break in, mm-hmm. um, and you know uh, how it was just really hard and how if if I could just write something you know I would I would write it with Senda in mind uh, who is an amazing person Mm -hmm. actor but also person and activist and you know I was just talking about how I love to see her because she's a superhero be a superhero and like kick ass and fly Mm -hmm. through the fly Mm -hmm. through the (laughs) and kick anyway uh and Farah was like let's just do it let's just do it 
Yeah. Like we don't have to wait. We don't have to apply to anything. Mm-hmm. We're not going to wait and apply to funding, you know, cause that, that ruins the momentum. Let's just do it. And I think that kind of opened things mm-hmm. in a way. And we didn't know how we were going to pay for anything or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we, we just, said you know let's make a commitment to hiring a crew that is all people of color because everyone's saying that it can't be done but we need to show that it can mm-hmm. be done and it was like it was just so amazing you know when you're reaching out to people just you know how many names would come to us but also interesting how some people reacted some people were upset mm. about you know, being asked, do you know a person of color who is uh, whatever position? And then some people also didn't understand and they'd be like, oh, uh, no, but here's some women. I'm like, oh, you mean not the white same women? Thing. Like, that's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. not a substitute. <laughs> um, I know you want chicken, but I'm going to offer you fish. I hope that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. That has been so frustrating. It was. It, it was, and it was also like, it was fascinating. I just found mm. it fa- like how, where, where does that disconnect mm-hmm. come in? Like, I don't understand it. Um, yeah. What but do you I mean, think, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, where do you think, because I, I, I have to tell you, like people will call me up and say, do you know this person's uh, email address? Cause I'm looking at them and it's a, it's a white guy. And I'm like, yeah, here's his address. I'm going to give you 10 more of like yeah. people of color because you're not thinking that way yet. And yeah. we, we all have to change that. But what do you think happens in that kind of disconnect? Um, I think there's been such a push for like gender equality and it's actually easier for people to talk about, you know, women need to mm. also be represented. Um, that, but, and, and also, especially in this country, people are afraid to say white, like, the word white (laughs) in reference to people being white um and I I think for some reason they kind of it's easier for them to kind of put every all of that into the same pot Mm -hmm. and not recognize that there's there's actually a difference and yes racism exists here and there's systemic racism and um there it doesn't it's not the same you know Mm -hmm. and um, I think that's the shift that needs to happen and is starting to happen now. Just like, okay, we're, we're kind of, we've seen the results of these gender equality targets. They have benefited women, but they haven't benefited all women. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's like the key that we have to really dig into now uh, because it doesn't really matter. Not it doesn't matter, but it's, it's not that great if, you know, we're saying, oh, whoever, whatever show or whatever broadcaster got 50%, but then of that 50% woman, there's only like less than 1% who are Indigenous women, mm-hmm. or there's only like 8% who are women of color. That means that there's still people being left out. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I, yes. Did you, did you know that this was going to be your role as a, as a young harpist uh, <laughs> trekking around the city with your harp? Did you know that you would work into a place of leadership and activism like you are now? No, no, I don't, I don't think I did. And it's, I mean, it's interesting because I think, you know, growing up, I, I never wanted to be 
Chinese. I, I hated being Chinese. I didn't want to be Asian. I didn't, I, I wanted to be white. I wanted to erase like everything about me. And it wasn't until, you know, I went to university, my first year of university that, oh, and dropped out, but yeah. <laughs> that I like really kind Hello. of became aware of like, oh, that that's actually, you know, internalized racism mm -hmm. and, and all those things that you were thinking and feeling about yourself wasn't from you, it was from yeah. being told and like what you didn't see, you know, when we talk about seeing ourselves on screen, that is what it is. It's like all these kids, it's changing now, but all of us who were kids back then watching TV and not seeing ourselves and being like, what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. You know, like, how come, how come it's like, or how come we're always like the stupid butt of the joke, you know? And, and we just absorb that into our psyche and we mm -hmm. don't even realize how much it affects us. And then how did you shift that? Because now look at you, you're like the leader, you're leading and you're, you have such confidence in your leadership, you know, like as a director and as a writer and as a producer, how did you shift that mindset? Um, I think it was just, oh, you know, when I started becoming aware of that, that was actually racism. <laughs> that yeah, it was because it's so internal, thing. you're being yeah. racist to yourself, which must be yeah. a real, like, just mind screw. Yeah, 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 and I think it was just like reading a lot of books, you know, Bell Hooks, uh, Audre Lorde, you know, any any book I could find. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> at the time, the internet wasn't really what it is now. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I'm so old. That's You're why not that old. You're That's not. Why I'm the I, I get it. You were riding your dinosaur around looking for a place to park. <laughs> I think it's so interesting, though, because now, like, I mean... Your, your other people's mentors. So you were pro you probably had very few people in your life that you could look to as, uh, as leaders and mentors for, because they just weren't available. I read somewhere that your hero was like Wonder Woman, but can you imagine if your hero was super Z like growing up? I just love that yeah. idea so much. <laughs> but are you comfortable with owning that mentorship title? Um, yeah, mentoring, I, yeah, I can own mentoring. <laughs> you laugh through it I just I mean I think you are I, I before I knew you I was looking towards you going oh my gosh what an inspiration you don't even know oh thank you um yeah I guess mentoring the difference for me is mentoring is like you're like helping someone else with their career and like right. guiding them or however you can um and just like trying to impart information so that they don't have to go through the same shit that you had to go through um yeah mm -hmm. well I mean if you wanted a new title for the word leader then you just switch it to mentor and suddenly you're comfortable <laughs> with it because <laughs> it feels like you're changing like you really are changing the world not only with like you know the work you're doing in in micro changes probably on set with seeing somebody that is Asian that's on set and being like oh I've never seen something like that how exciting to starting um, BIPOC TV and film. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about BIPOC TV and film and how, um, where that is and how that started a little bit? Yeah. Um, it started because I had a show that was optioned and I had no writing credits. So they were like, okay, now you have to pair up with a showrunner. And my list of names was like 
all American names because I wanted a woman of color and, you know, Canada at the time and kind of still is that there weren't any women of color who were like, would get the broadcaster nod of approval. And so I was paired up with uh, a white woman and I, I just felt really isolated doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, as that was part of the process. And I felt like if I felt like that, there, that there would be others that felt like that as well and mm-hmm. felt like that in the industry. And I wanted a chance for us to connect and know each other and just, you know, hopefully as we started kind of making our way up that we would bring each other in and up as well. And it, it kind of, it started growing from there. And um, I mean, just, just having a space, you know, when we could still gather in person, but walking into a space that was all people of color, all in the industry. So like all kind of wanting the same thing, regardless of whether we were like directors or writers or, or whatever, but we all had like this creative dream um, was was really comforting and empowering, mm-hmm. and it 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 just gave me so much energy mm-hmm. um, and and hope, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. like there's yeah. so much in this in this industry that's out of your control, yeah. especially if you're like a creative. Like, I I don't know what it's like for crew, but like for a writer, you're yeah. either just writing on your own or you're waiting to be called for an interview. You know, like so, yeah. and you don't and know if you're going to get you it. Write something. It's yeah. taken out of your hands. There's so, you know what I mean? Yes. Like it's such, I mean, I think that's why you should be directing your own stuff. Cause then you're like, now <laughs> if there's a discussion I need to have the writer, I can just have it with myself. Right. It kept growing um, from there. And, and I slowly started gathering people to be part of, uh, we call it like the visioning committee. Um, just, you know, to remind ourselves that we had a vision that we were going towards. Mm-hmm. within the industry and then um you know started gathering more volunteers and stuff and putting on more events and um I think people started thinking of us as like a place where they could get like solid advice or or some skills or knowledge that they couldn't get anywhere else and mm-hmm. we were actually starting to have problems finding venues that were cheap enough free (laughs) for the size of the crowds that we that were starting to come which was like exciting but also scary and then um last year when when the pandemic happened uh we had a few things that were already on the go that we switched to zoom and then when you know when all the murders happened between us and here with you know black men and, and indigenous uh, women and men, mm-hmm. um, suddenly we got like a flood of calls <laughs> and a flood of emails and mm-hmm. we were, you know, really pulled in a lot of different directions and people just wanting us to weigh in and give them advice on how to change things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like last year was like a huge, just transformative year for us in terms of people's expectations and their demands on the organization because mm-hmm. um, we were we were all just a strictly volunteer organization all creatives doing this you know in our spare time mm-hmm. or giving up some of our uh, time we should be working to do yeah it. yeah uh, yeah yeah but 
one of the things that came out of it is that uh, we became we became a not-for-profit in the fall. Um, and we've recently hired our very first executive director. Super okay. exciting. Yeah. Yeah, that because I think the balance is like you start with something like that because you want to make a change and you're mm -hmm. you're definitely your intentions are are absolutely right. But then as you said, it takes away from that other goal of yours, which is to be a writer director. Yes. And I see that so much in um, you know, in people that are putting themselves in places that that you are in a leadership place for uh, the BIPOC movement or surge. And how do you balance that? How do you go, you know what, I can't, I can't change the world today. I need to write this script. How do you balance yeah. that as an artist? It's, it's really hard. Yeah. Um, and I think also my, my nature is not to put those kind of boundaries on. So it's even harder. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Cause you feel like it's purposeful work, right? It's, yeah. it's not something that you know, that's, that's trivial. This is really important what you're doing with the BIPOC teaching fund. Yeah, yeah, it's not just like a hobby. Yeah, you're not doing like a rug hooking club or something like that. No, <laughs> rug no hooking. shade that's on the rug hookers. In <laughs> uh, but how do you balance that? Like, are you able to, because here's the other thing that I think, and I'm saying this because I'm in a place like with firecracker department where I know it's purposeful work. And I, I know that I can produce because it's sort of almost physical work and it's mm. way easier to produce than turning my creative brain and making myself go, okay, sit down and write. Cause that's actually challenging, you know, my yeah. vulnerability and my creativity. So it's easier to do that, but I need to balance that as an artist. How do you do that? Um, I, I don't know. Okay, let me know. If you find a guest who does know, please let me know. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think you're doing everything right. Like I do think it is about having a team that's also believing it. So it's not just resting on your shoulders to pursue the goals of, of your organization. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I'm hoping that now that, um, you know, we have staff and I think, you know, we're going to move into a slightly different model of an organization um, while still keeping like the grassroots intentions and, the feel of it. Um, I, I'm hoping that that'll help everyone kind of find a little bit more balance. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. It's an exciting time for your, your organization to step up, but also, you know, there's that hat over there that says writer, producer of Foreigner, which is an amazing show that you're like, how do you have, to, you don't have time for this discussion. You should be doing things <laughs> other than chatting to Naomi Sneakers. Um, can you tell me about the excitement behind Corner? Like you, that must make you feel a little bit like you've arrived at your dream. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel really, really lucky that I'm a part of it. Um, and, you know, I, I was in the room when it was a development room. And then when it got picked up for season one, um, I, I was there. And it's, it is really exciting. You know, like this teeny little show you know, going from CBC to CW and uh, yeah, I, it's, it's cool. It's cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's unreal. Cause you know, you're thinking about this is what I love to do. And then suddenly one day you're doing it. I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm actually doing the thing that I wanted to do. Like yeah. you think it's so unattainable and yeah, I was just 
saying the other day, you know, it's, it's going from having to put your groceries on your credit card mm -hmm. and not knowing when you're going to pay that to being like, oh, I can just go and buy any item in the grocery yeah. store without having to think about it or without having to worry about my card being declined mm -hmm. or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Take the extra pulp in my orange juice. Thank you very much. <laughs> the fancy orange juice. I mean, there's also that fear that when you've arrived at your dream that it's disappointing. Yeah. You know, I because it's sort of like we've arrived, like, and I've heard the story from so many people when they're like, all I want to do is attain this goal. And then you arrive at that goal and you're like, oh, well, now what? I've done the thing I've always wanted to do. Or do you find yourself in that place at all? Um, no, I think what it does is that it opens up more mm. goals. Mm -hmm. Cause then it's like, okay, I've, now what else do I want to write? Like what do I want to write for myself or what, you know, what, what kind of show do I want to work on mm -hmm. next? Or, uh, you know, I, I think we were really lucky because Maureen Brevner is such an amazing showrunner mm -hmm. and has like, uh, has modeled such an amazing way to like run a room and bring out everyone's vulnerabilities and make them feel safe. But then, you know, like I, I would like to run a room like that one day. <laughs> yeah, tell me, <laughs> you know? tell me that. Tell me like when I have my own room, what would it look like? Oh, I mean, first of all, we'd be in a room with windows. <laughs> yes, thank you. That open. <laughs> well, yes, windows that open. Yeah. Preferably looking over the lake. Okay. Yes. Keep <laughs> going. Lots of good food. Yes, snacks are <laughs> crucial. Um, and I think it would be predominantly uh, BIPOC writers in there um, and probably primarily queer writers as well. Um, and I, I think I would, I would just try to recreate that feeling of safety and support that I think is really crucial. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm reading everything you're putting down. How do you do that? How do you create a safe writer's room? Well, one of the things that Morwen, like the first things that she said when we, like day one, she said, you know, that we're going to be talking about a lot of things that are hard and that we should always feel like if anything came up in discussion that we and offended us or hurt us or whatever, that we could either talk, talk about it in the room or if we didn't feel comfortable, talk to her. And if we didn't feel comfortable talking, she kind of outlined all the different steps, which was amazing. But then at the same time, when we were actually in it and in the room and things were happening, you know, you're still in your mind being like, oh, is it, is it really okay to say something? Is it really okay mm -hmm. to speak up? And sometimes she would, like, we would have a little coffee break or whatever, and she'd come back and she would be the one saying, you know, this discussion went in this direction, or, you know, I said this, but I shouldn't have said it. Mm. And I'm sorry, because mm. it was offensive, you know, like she would catch herself, which was like, just amazing and mm. incredible and really set the tone. And I also feel like the, the few times, like, when you first start saying things that you're like, Oh, I don't, I don't like this, or like, this is not a really good portrayal of you know, whatever race it is, um, the fact that she would be like, she would actually listen and then say, okay, we're not doing that. 
we have to find a way around mm-hmm. it. And it was never, it was never uh, prove it to me. And it was never like, I don't like, I don't believe you. Like, what are you talking? Like, it was none of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what kind of lets people know that you can, you can keep talking like really deeply about race, what it means, how it affects story, how it affects character. And I, I think that's, that's why we're so, mm-hmm. um, we're, we're all all of the writers are so like attached to the show and the characters mm-hmm. wow that sounds really really unique and special yeah yeah what what kind of um what kind of director are you like what do you think that you bring to set that other directors don't um well I still consider myself to be like a baby director and scripted <laughs> You know what I love that movie? The sequel to Baby Driver, Baby Director was so good. <laughs> Loved it. I, th- I think like most of my credits are unscripted mm-hmm. um, and I haven't quite done mm-hmm. like, I haven't done episodic TV yet or anything. Um, but I, I think that as a director, um, I feel, I really like talking to crew and mm-hmm. I really like, you know, I, I really respect every single position from like, the DP to the PAs on set. And I think, I think because I had to do like a lot of those, I started as kind of a PA and had to do all the schlepping of the batteries and the garbage and everything. And you just value those people so much. And um, I, I love seeing like the kind of magic that mm-hmm. everyone is doing their own thing and it all comes together to make this other amazing thing yeah. that then goes on to the screen and then people enjoy it. It's kind of, yeah, it is magic, it's magic. It really is. I, I totally agree with you. That combination of people when everybody from the guy or the girl or the person holding the boom to your number one, to the director, the producer, everybody's on the same page and feeling like they're valued and respected. I think that's, that's a pretty yeah. magical thing. Um, I'm going to, I don't want to, I have to, because there's a thing called time limits and uh, I have to wrap this up, but I want to ask you some firecracker wrap up questions. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Fill in the blank. To me, a firecracker is. Explosive. I love it. What do you want to be best known for, Natalie? Uh, vision. I like that. What are two words to describe your present state of mind? Oh, um, I think hopeful and tired. Yeah, that's fair. That's entirely <laughs> fair. Um, okay, if this was a movie, if your life was a movie, what do you think the the climactic moment has been so far? If this was the, about to end, like a turning point in your life? I I said no to a uh, gig. Yeah. And that felt a little mind-blowing. Yeah, I get that though. Say no to something is a big turning point, I think, for a lot of people pleasers. Yeah. So... I get it. See, your answer was right. Um, what's something that people don't know about you? Um, well, not many people know, but I have made cakes in the shape of like, <laughs> a brain and a heart. And then I also did one that was in the shape of intestines, like yeah. all bloody. I love it. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is absolutely not anything close to one of the answers I thought you would come up with for that. Thank you, I love it. Um, what's your What's been your favorite mistake? Oh, <laughs> uh, my 
favorite mistake was uh, performing the Mozart Harp and Flute Concerto. And I was determined to do it by memory. And I, I was in the middle performance and for no reason at all, I totally blanked and stopped playing. <laughs> oh my God, that made me sweaty. What did you do? Um, I, I reset my pedal and I just, I went back in the music and I just picked it up again. What do you think that taught you moving forward from that? I mean, I think that's pretty much everyone's worst fear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm seriously, I'm so, ugh. Yeah, I, I, I think I like, obviously I, 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 when I could finally leave the stage, I, I went and cried yeah. and I was like all that stuff and just the relief, like the adrenaline release. And then uh, I, I was surprised because it, I guess it taught me that I can recover and that I re could recover from the most embarrassing mm -hmm. thing. <laughs> And the most publicly embarrassing things mm -hmm. that could happen. Oh my gosh, I love that story so much. I have. I, I was on stage once playing. I was a, an understudy on Second City stage, and not only did I have to go on with maybe um, twenty hours of of preparation with the scripts, so an hour of sketch work, and I had to learn how to play the guitar for one of the sketches. So I got up there and I was so nervous and I'd done it. I'd somehow memorized an entire show of sketches and I'd learned how to play the chords that I needed to do on the guitar, which I'd never done before. And the first night I nailed it. So great. Oh my gosh, I'm on top of the world. The second night, blank. In my song, blank. I look over to the music director who's always at the side of the stage and uh -huh. I go, and I said, I don't, I don't know what's next. And he said, you're doing great, babe. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. But as you said, you recover, right? You recover and you're not, it doesn't kill you. So um, amazing. I love that story so much. Okay. Um, what's something that you haven't done yet, but you know, you have to do. Oh, um, show run a show on HBO. Yes, please. Do you hear that universe? <laughs> Uh, and I know it's been so lovely speaking to you and, and shining a light on your world and your, and your voice and your stories. I'd love to just take a moment and maybe shine a light on another firecracker in your life to give some, pay some buzz forward. Um, yeah, I, I saw that. I had a hard time because I'm like, I have, a, I have some names, but I feel like if I name them, then I'm going to leave other people out. Of course, of course. <laughs> but can I say shout out to all the firecracker volunteers at BIPOC TV and film. Yeah. Yeah. How big is that organization? How many, how many volunteers do you have? Uh, I think now we're, we're roughly between 15 and 20 volunteers. Amazing. Amazing. Look what you're creating. That's so, that's so great. And yeah, they work so hard be because they believe in it. Yeah. 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 We're really lucky. My final question is advice. What advice would you have given to your younger self? Um, like how young? <laughs> I don't know. Let's give a couple then. If you've got different advice for different ages, I'll take it. Um, I, I think I, my advice would be believe in yourself even when people don't. What age was that? Uh, 12, 18, 21. <laughs> yeah. How old am I now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. It's been so good to speak with you. I've honestly wanted to have this talk for so many, so many years. So it's so I'm so glad to finally be having it.
Oh, thank you. So much fun. What a delight. So Keep going. Keep going. You're doing so great. You're doing so great in all the aspects. You're not only killing it in the in your organization, but in your own personal career. So just just keep on. Oh, thank you. It was such an honor to be a part of this and, you know, be in your roster of amazing guests. Oh gosh. <laughs> it would not be complete without you. What a hundredth. You're our one hundredth guest. Yeah. If there's anything, you know, we're in your corner. If there's anything we can do to support any of your work, um, if you need me to put in some windows in your writing room so that you can have a good view for when you're show running, I'm there. It's okay. not going to be pretty. I don't know how to do it, but I'll do it for you. I think it's just like a hammer or something, yeah, right? I think so. How hard can it be? <laughs> I think it's just a hammer. <laughs> Oh, I'm just so happy Natalie had time to chat with me and I can't think of a more appropriate and delightful person to chat with for the 100th episode on Firecracker Department. Here's to 100 more. Oh my gosh, are you up for 100 more? I am. Are you? You can follow Natalie on Twitter and Instagram at N-Y-O-U-N-G-L-A-I at BIPOC TV and film on Twitter and at BIPOC TV film on Instagram. Check out our show notes for those links. You can also watch season three of Coroner on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on CBC or the CBC Gem app. Natalie's episode will air on March 10th, so get your DVRs ready. And Connections. Coroner star Tamara Pademski was our 43rd Firecracker back in 2019, so you can catch up on that interview and the rest of the past Firecracker guests. And, oh my gosh, we're just gonna keep going. We'll never exhaust how many Firecrackers there are to speak to. I could do a Firecracker interview every day and not run out of people to talk to. So we're working on it. Don't forget to catch up on all our past podcasts on our website, firecrackerdepartment.com or subscribe on whatever podcast app you prefer. Winnie Wong is our Firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong eight on Twitter. Sydney Nielsen is our co-producer and head editor. You can follow them at Sydney underscore Nielsen. Sydney, you know, like Australia. Nielsen, you know, like milk. You can follow me on social media at my last name at Sneekus, S-N-I-E-C-K-U-S. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. And we are so excited and feel so lucky to have two amazing, incredible firecracker interns for the winter of 2021. Fran Caviello and Saba Dolati. And I have to say, these are firecracker humans to their core and we're so lucky to have them with us. Get into the full Firecracker Department core team at firecrackerdepartment.com slash about because we're always updating and we're always growing. Stay tuned to our newsletter for advanced updates on our monthly meditations, upcoming mentorship workshops, live script department readings, festival partnerships, weekly writing workouts, and dates for 2021, and so much more. There's lots going on in Firecracker Department. Don't forget, we also have a weekly brunch on Zoom every Sunday, and our live Firecracker follow-ups return this month, so stay tuned to our socials for who and when. Now, whether you're a first-time or a long-time listener to the Firecracker Department, we always, always want to hear from you. We love hearing what quotes, the specifics, the nuances of things that stuck with you from each of the episodes. And we mean it. We really do. And we respond to every single thing that comes our way. If it gives your brain goosebumps or it piques your curiosity or makes you want to stop and write something down, send it back to us or our Firecracker guest or both. I mean, everybody likes to know 
that when they put something out into the world that it resonates. And if it sparks something in you, use that creativity to take some creative action. Let us know. Share it because it just reverberates, you know? If you see somebody being creative, that might spark somebody else's creativity. So pay it forward. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music. And thanks to you. Yeah, you. Sitting there, driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at the Firecracker online community. Maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. Come on and share some time with us. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time.